What's up Wednesday night? You guys made it. Thanks for coming to church today. Uh, glad to see you. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, excited to be with you uh, tonight. It's just a dreary day. It's a good day to be together and uh, at church if you're brand new. We just want to welcome you and uh, my prayer is that you would find a, a community here, a place to ask questions and, uh, and that you find a space that you can call home. So um, you have jumped in, if you're new, to week three of a series of talks uh, about serving and uh, Jesus's model of leadership and how uh, different it was and different it is from the style of leadership we see many times in the world uh, today. We've entitled the series Cherry Bomb. Uh, a cherry bomb is a, it's a small explosive that uh, has a, a great impact. And uh, they were outlawed back in the 60s because, uh, frankly, people were blowing off their fingers, right? And uh, they were underestimating the power of such a small uh, little, little piece of explosive. And what we've realized is that Jesus uh, lived this life, making these little decisions throughout his life that impacted the world uh, still today. And so we want to look at his life and learn from him and, and figure out what are the small things that we can do that will make an explosive uh, incremental impact on the world. And I believe that the, the one thing we can boil Jesus's life down to is he was a servant. Uh, he was just here to serve the people around him. And if you've been here for uh, now three weeks, uh, you're going to start to kind of catch that we're pretty serious about this, um, that uh, this isn't just a, an idea or a, a sermon series to just kind of consider in our minds, but this is something for us actually to get into our lives. And I hope up to this point, uh, maybe even just this week, you've found some simple ways uh, to serve people in your family, uh, to serve your friends, to serve maybe your church or your community, your boss, uh, your parents. Maybe you found some little things that you can do, small decisions that have, uh, have shaped your family and, and your workplaces and everywhere you go in some pretty powerful ways. Because I know that's the case. Just a, a small act of service can really transform uh, somebody's life. And so that's really kind of the, the heart of all of this. Um, this, this week, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dirty Jobs. You guys ever seen the show with Micro, Dirty Jobs? One of my favorite shows. Uh, my kids love watching it. It's disgusting and awesome all at once. Micro is one of my favorite um, authors, and, and uh, he's an actor. He does a lot of things. But uh, uh, he has taken the most disgusting jobs in America and turned it into his living, into uh, a show. And people love it. They love watching this. And really what he's done is he's taken uh, blue collar America, these people that love to just kind of get down and dirty. And he's, he's really elevated that, that type of living and those positions and said, you know, you are not uh, the lesser of Americans because you do dirty jobs. You are some of the most amazing Americans because of the dirty jobs that you do. And so uh, I love that about him, but I was wrestling this week a little bit uh, with, with what are we passionate about? And it's interesting that many of the people that he encounters on the show are, are so passionate about what they do. And you have, to, you have to look in and go, why? Why would anybody be so passionate about, you know, being a septic pumper on the weekends? I don't know if you're a septic pumper. Maybe you love it. Um, why would you be so passionate about digging algae out of the bottom of a lake for a living? What is it that makes you so passionate about it? 
And, and I was just thinking this week that, you know, we, we avoid a lot of different kinds of jobs. Uh, many times, if it's too dirty, we don't want anything uh, to do with it. But what we've been sold for most of our lives is that we should pursue our passions, Right? Uh, I still remember in high school at our graduation, the speech was boiled down to simply that, hey, find your passion and go do it. Pursue your passions. And in fact, this is kind of the, the, the story that's believed today is that you need to be doing your passion. In fact, you need to find a way to get paid for your passion, right? And, and so there's a lot of people who are really discouraged in their life because they are not, you know, full-time scuba instructors on Waikiki Beach, right? And that's their passion. But, you know, here they are, they're working a day job, you know, they're working in retail, doing their thing, and they're like, man, I'm failing at life, you know, all my friends, you know, on Instagram, look at them pursuing their passion, and here I am working, uh, you know, nine to five doing my thing. What is it that is your passion? What is it that when you were growing up, people were like, oh, you need to go do that, because you were just so meant to do it. I remember growing up, it was an architect. Everybody said, Brian, you love to draw, so you're going to be an architect for a living, right? That's how you're going to make, make money, and it's what you're going to do. And, and here I am, a preacher, doing exactly what I was meant to do, right? And so it's funny how life takes you down these roads towards things you would have never expected. And so what, what, I was actually listening to an, an interview with this man, Mike Rowe, recently, and he was talking about your passions, and he said this. He said, passion is too important to ignore, but too fickle to follow. I thought that's a, that's a profound statement, isn't it? It's too important to ignore your passion. Certainly, uh, you should have passion, and, and passion's a good thing. But at the same time, passion's pretty fickle. And uh, I don't know if you've ever followed a fickle leader in your life, the kind of person who's really excited about this project one day, and then they scrap that and move on to something else the next day, you know, and then they're up and they're down and they're all over the place. That's really frustrating. But when your passions, you're following your passions, uh, they're kind of a fickle leader in your life, which forces you to go like, how do I know what I'm here for? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? And speaking about passion, uh, the the, uh, famous author uh, John Bunyan says this, desires, which is another way of saying passion, desires are hunting things, stalking through cornfields in boots, camo overalls, and a blaze orange hat is a fitting metaphor for the restless heart in search of pleasures. Our hearts are hungry, and our hearts hunt this world for something or someone to fill a void. So whatever your passions are, whatever you would say, yeah, Brian, I'm really passionate about, your heart will naturally hunt for those things. Am I right? Right, like, like we talked, I, I shared a picture last week uh, about my daughter. She shot a bear this last year. You don't have to talk me into going hunting, right? You come up to me after church and, and you say, Brian, you want to go hunting? I'm like, I'm in, right? You don't have to pay me. You don't have to convince me. I'm just going to do it. You don't have to motivate my kids to eat all of my Oreos. They just find them and they eat them all. They don't even leave the one, you know, like considerate little children. They eat all of them. You don't have to tell them to eat you know, to eat candy. You have to motivate my wife to watch football. Where's Amanda? My wife loves football and you don't have to talk her into doing it. There's just, when you have a passion, you pursue it. It's just natural to do that. So what, what the lie that we've been, we, we believe today, I think is, is really that, that we should pursue our passions wholeheartedly and that your fulfillment is found in doing whatever it is that you're passionate about. And here's the, here's the opposite side of that belief is that if you're not passionate about it, just don't do it, right? 
Just skip it. It's not something you need to waste your life on. You're not passionate about it. Go do something else. And so you've got all these, especially these 20-somethings coming out of college today who are like, I am a failure at life. Because I started off with this, this thing that I was going to do. I was passionate about it. And I ended up with a degree. And now I've got a job that's, that's not what I thought it was going to be. So now I feel like since I'm not passionate about it, I need to find something else. So, so there's this restlessness, right? This feeling that, man, I'm not doing what I need to be doing. And the Bible talks a lot about passions. And, and I would say that this, this concept is a very important thing to understand in Scripture. James 4.1 says this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now think about that. What causes fights in the world? What causes quarrels in the world? It, it turns out that what causes the most fights and the most quarrels is when people are passionate about different things. Uh, and, and what happens is when people are passionate about different things, they end, end up conflicting with each other. And what you realize as you read the, the Bible narrative is that we were never created to have different passions. Now we have different, you know, interests and things like that, but we were actually all created to have one central passion. And when we have all kinds of different things, it causes a lot of conflict in the world. Now, now you're maybe going, well, Brian, are you a hater on passion? Like something wrong with being, people call me passionate. Is that okay? And I, I believe that, that passion is a good thing. And that it can be something that's healthy in your life. It can also be a really unhealthy thing. And as you read through Scripture, this word passion is all over the place, or, or purpose, or desire. Another word in Scripture that's used for passion is actually lust, which is interesting. Uh, it's normally when you think of lust, you do not think of great things, right? It's kind of got a negative connotation. But those are all, when you read through Scripture, the same word, the same root word is used for all of those. And they all sort of boil down to this strong desire uh, for something. Uh, we've had sort of a theme verse. I keep coming back to this in Philippians 2, uh, verse 4. I just want to read this to kind of get us back to what we're talking about. Verse 4 says, let each, of you not, or let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now listen to this carefully. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And I keep coming back to that passage because it's a beautiful passage about who Jesus was and what he was passionate about. And he simply says this, have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And we said this last week, the only way that you can begin to serve like Jesus is that you are actually served by Jesus. You have to, have to receive from Jesus before you can give like Jesus gave. And he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. So essentially, once you receive Jesus, once you are served by Jesus, it's going to change your mind. It's going to start to, and what he means by have this mind among yourselves, he's talking about what you're about as a person. Like, what is it that you are here for? What is it that you're here to do? And this new mind, this new way of thinking only happens through receiving from Jesus. And once you receive the love of God, you'll begin to get the heart of God. And the heart of God is to come and serve, right? We just read that. He, he actually gave up of himself to serve humanity. So if you have a Bible, open up to John chapter, chapter 13. It's where we're going to be today. 
We've just basically been talking through this last quarter of Jesus' life, this last part of his ministry, when he's starting to make it very clear that he is here to die. He's going to give up his life for humanity. And, and this passage is, it's almost like a, a resignation letter. And that's kind of what's, what's going on here. Jesus is going to speak to his disciples, and he knows, like, I'm going to be gone soon. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had to write a resignation letter, but normally when people write resignation letters, they uh, choose very carefully what they have to say. I mean, this is sort of the chance to say all the things that you might have got fired for, right? A couple months ago, but you're like, hey, you know, at this point, I can say what I want. Or what's interesting for me as a pastor is, is pastors write resignation letters. They also give resignation sermons. And so some of my, fam- my, my favorite sermons to watch are, are pastors' last sermons at a location, because it's like, all right, you guys, let's get real. Let's get honest. And gloves are off. Let's, let's say what we need to say. And, and I, you know, I hope, that, I hope that I would never have anything else to say at the end of my time. Whenever God calls me away or whatever he does in my life, if there's ever that day coming, I hope at that point I'm not like I got all kinds of things to say to you. But the truth is we, we do. We buffer ourselves. We're like, I don't know if I can say that or what I should do or, or whatever. But What's going on here is Jesus is like giving his last words to his men. And he's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get really, really. He wants them to focus on the thing that matters most to him. So they find themselves at this point in the upper room of a house, okay? And, and they're they are getting ready to celebrate the Passover meal. And the Passover meal is this Jewish celebration of God's liberation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. That's all, that's what this is about. So they're coming together to, to eat this meal, to, to celebrate their freedom. It'd be like our 4th of July meal, to celebrate their meal of, of freedom. So it says in verse 1 of chapter 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So a couple, couple things real quick is he says that the hour had come. So which means before this, the hour was not yet. What you need to understand is that Jesus had orchestrated his life and his ministry all leading up to this point. And in every way, Jesus was in control of what was going on. In earlier parts of the Gospels, we read that it was not my time yet. And Jesus actually tells people, hey, don't tell anybody who I am or what just happened because it's not time. So what you see here throughout this whole thing is Jesus wasn't losing control at this point. It wasn't as if, man, okay, Jesus wants a little bit longer on the earth or wishes that he could spend some more. No, this was his time. He knew it was coming. And then it says that he loved his men to the end. Now, when I read that at first, I kind of skipped over it. And I was like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, that's, he's God, right? He's Jesus, of course. He's going to love them to the end. But I want you to think about what's going on here. He's been with these guys for years and years and years. He called them three years ago, but probably even before that, he knew who they were. He, he's good friends. These are his best friends. And they still don't quite get who he is. And this is a really mixed crowd that he's with. And, but yet, Jesus has chosen to love them, even though they would betray him and walk away from him. It says this in verse 2, During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. It's like a long sentence, but basically what's going on here is, is we're talking about Judas. And, and Judas, if you know the story of Judas, Judas is the betrayer of Jesus. And there were things going on in Judas' heart that led him to this. 
And I want you just to consider your desires and your passions for a minute. Where do they come from? What's actually driving what your life is about? And what you need to know is that your passions are actually being guided by things. They're being guided by things. They don't just live on their own. They're being guided. And this is, we're going to talk about this for a second, but there's three things that your passions are being guided by. For Judas, Judas, and for many of us in different ways, the first is the enemy. You might be guided by the enemy. In this, this moment, what we're seeing is that, that Satan himself put this desire in Judas's heart, and Judas took the bait. What you need to understand is that he had an option and an opportunity here, and yet he took the bait and he ran with it. So our desires, sometimes our desires, they, they are actually being influenced by outside things, even by what we would call the enemy himself, Satan himself or the demonic. That actually exists, we believe. And so we need to understand that there is this, like, this battle for our souls and that within us, there is this attack on who we should be. And so constantly there's this, 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 these other influences coming in at us to take us away from what we were supposed to be here for. So the enemy may be influencing your desires. The next would be what's called the flesh. The flesh. So you and I are, are human beings created in the image of God, and yet apart from Jesus, we actually reject God and we pursue things that are of this world and that end up hurting us and hurting other people. That's our, that's our flesh that's inside of all of us. And so within all of us are these like, these carnal desires, these unhealthy desires, these things that are, are selfish, that we, we feel a, a strong draw towards. And so you, once again, you got to take an inventory of what you love, an inventory of what consumes your life and your thoughts and your passions. And, and you might be influenced by the enemy himself. You might be influenced by what's called your flesh. And we're going to get to it in a second, but, uh, but there's, there's more to this. Uh, than, than just the flesh. And the third thing is this, uh, the Spirit Himself. And I want to camp out here for a second. Because as Christians, here's what we believe. We believe that God actually lives inside of us in the form of what's called the Holy Spirit. And when you actually receive Jesus, it says that, 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 that God actually comes into our lives. He lives within His people. And so maybe you're being influenced by the Spirit. Obviously, um, what we're talking about today is that we should choose to be influenced by the Spirit. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So here's what happens. So when you don't know Jesus... Um, there's not a whole lot of conflict in your passions and desires because you simply have your flesh and you, you pursue it. You do what you want, right? This feels good, I do it. This seems like success, I pursue it. I like this, I don't like that. You just pursue those things. And then what happens is when you make this decision to put your life in, your life in the hands of Jesus, what we believe is that the Holy Spirit comes into you and now there's conflict inside of you, Right? Because what you've got is your flesh and the Spirit of God living inside of you. It creates conflict. And maybe you've felt this conflict before. Some people who aren't Christians would call it their conscience, right? There's something going on inside of you that's like, ah, I don't know if this is right. Like, there, there's this acknowledgement that there's a right and a wrong, and, and, and maybe they're not pursuing the thing that is right. For us as Christians, we believe that's the Spirit of God speaking to us. That he actually wants to help us know right from wrong, good from bad, what looks like the kingdom of God and what does not. And so we need to acknowledge that idea that there's this like conflict of desires 
inside of us. And I feel it all the time. So um, we've been talking a lot as a, as a staff about being healthy. Um, if you're on our What's Happening email, we sent out an email this week about being healthy as, as a church. I really feel like this is how God is pushing us, that we'd be spiritually, emotionally, physically healthy people uh, in this next year, and that there's some ways that we can actually grow in that and do better with that. So today, about like 3 p.m., I'm like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go work out. I haven't been to the gym in like six months, so I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to go work out. So I go and run a couple miles, and without, a, without, without even like thinking about it, I get out of the gym, and I'm on the way here, and, and there I am sitting in the drive-thru of McDonald's, right? And... Like, I've got a car behind me, a car in front of me, and it just strikes me. I'm like, what am I doing, right? And you know you got a branding problem when your, your brand is associated with, like, unhealth, right? And so then, this is, this is so, I'm so ridiculous. So I come to church, and I've got my bag of McDonald's and my Coke, and I actually, like, sat in my car for two minutes, and I was like, how do I sneak this into the church? I was, I was like, <laughs> because I know somebody's going to say something. And I'm like, ah, I'm probably being ridiculous, I don't know. So I come walking inside, and Mason, our worship leader, is like, bro, come on, healthy leadership, come on. You know, he's like calling it out, and so I kind of snuck my way upstairs, and I ate it all. So um, <laughs> decisions, uh, life, life choices. But it's funny that, like, I've got this desire in me to be healthy, and yet I love McDonald's occasionally, you know, not so much after, but before I really, um, I, I want it. you know, maybe you're a Krispy Kreme guy or girl, and you're just like, I want to be healthy, but man, I love them Krispy Kremes, right? Uh, you've got this conflict in your heart between your passions. They, they kind of war up against each other, right? You're like, man, I want to be a great husband, and yet at the same time, I have all of this, this stuff that I love. I love to golf, and I golf every single night, and I don't see my family, right? So I've got this, like, conflict of passions, you know? Maybe you want to be a great student, you know, but you also love Game of Thrones. And so you just can't help yourself. Just be honest. You are watching it. So... <laughs> And, and so you get, you're like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't do my homework, and I'm watching TV, and there's this conflict of passions. And I think we all feel this in different ways, but as, as Christians, it's almost like the conflict, the, the knob is turned up, you know, to 11, right? It's turned all the way up because all of a sudden we realize this, this holiness, God himself comes into us who is perfectly pure, perfectly holy, and he's calling us to something better for ourselves, and yet we're like, ah, I still kind of want this other stuff. And I love in Galatians, it says simply this, that we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's like if, if we want to stop the battle between our flesh and the Spirit of God, something has to die. Something has to go away. And he doesn't say you kind of put the flesh in the corner and tell it to be good. You know, you kind of deal with the flesh or you kind of hold the flesh back. He literally says, that's not you anymore. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old you is gone. The new you has come. And so we actually put to death that old, that old person, that old self that desires after these things. Once again, passion can be good. So don't hear me going, man, you shouldn't be excited about stuff and you shouldn't love you know, and enjoy your hobbies and things. You can, but I want you to consider that maybe some of those things ha have taken control of your life in such a way that they are taking away from your one true passion and what you should be about. I think what he means by crucifying our passions is that what we do is we actually give the main thing authority over everything. 
there comes a point where you're like, you know what, there is, there's only room for one passion in my life. Now, now, we think we can be passionate about many, many things. And to some degree you can, but really, if you're thinking about your life as a whole, you're only gonna do a good job of being passionate about one thing in your life. And at some point you say, this is what I want the most. I will give this, whatever it is in your life, authority over everything else in my life so that I can succeed at whatever that is. And for you, that might be, you know, just making good money and working hard at your job. It might be your family or your kids. Or maybe if you're a believer in Jesus, for you, you have a new passion. And and that passion is Jesus himself, but it's going to come out in certain ways that you live. I would say it's going to come out in the way you serve. And Jesus is going to show us that as he continues on. And I want to just touch on this statement he makes. He says that the Father had given all things to Jesus' hands. He's making this statement once again that Jesus is going to the cross because he chose to. Jesus wasn't being drug off, kicking and screaming. He chose for us to go to the cross, to die for us. And and I love that before he's going to do what he's going to do in just a second, we recognize this guy has power over everything. And there he is in this upper room with all of these men who are going to betray him, who are going to leave him. He's got Judas himself who's going to sell out sell Jesus out for a little bit of money, right? He's got Peter who's going to deny him, and then the rest are going to walk away in his time of need. So you've got the, the, the betrayer, the rejecter, and the cowards all in the room, and Jesus has authority over all things. What would you do in that moment? Be kicking some tails, right? Like, I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be pretty upset. I've got authority over all things, and all of you are going to, you're going to blow it in a few minutes, a few hours. And yet Jesus does something completely completely different. It says, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So it's interesting. Jesus doesn't think it's time for another sermon. He doesn't think it's time to preach at them a little bit more, throw out a little bit more uh, of, of, of scripture to them. He just says there's something that needs to happen right now. now. Now, he chooses to wash their feet, and you've maybe read this story many times, but this is really shocking. I mean, this is a really big deal. Jewish, Jewish servants didn't even wash the master's feet. Maybe like a Gentile slave would, would wash someone's feet, but, but Jesus, God himself, chooses to wash their feet. Why does he do this? Why doesn't he just tell them, hey, remember I'm a servant. Remember, you know, you want to be first. You got to be last. Like we talked about that. Why doesn't he just tell them again? I want you to write this down. Being served brings tangibility to the gospel. This is what it does. It makes it real to them. They had heard it preached. They've heard it said, but they had not yet been served in this way. Certainly up to this point, Jesus had helped them, been kind to them and serve them in other ways. But uh, when you read this, you're not like, oh, this is what they do on Friday night, you know? This isn't like their typical, okay, that's, we're together, we're gonna eat, and Jesus is gonna wash our feet, you know? This was shocking. This was a new thing for them to, to experience this. And all of a sudden, Jesus washes their feet, and he shows them what the kingdom of God looks like. Because that really is what the, the gospel, the good news is about, is that there is a better and a different kingdom coming one day. And it's going to look very different than the world that you see around you. So Jesus washes their feet to cast a vision for the kingdom of God that was to come. 
And he says, this is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like serving in a really disgusting, gross way. You know, as their feet are dirty and, and stinky and they got this, this basin of water washing their feet. Now think about this for your life. Is there somebody in your world that you would love to understand the gospel? Is there somebody that you know that you're like, man, if they could only get the love of Jesus like I've experienced, I wonder if maybe they don't need another sermon from you. I, I just, I wonder if maybe they don't need another debate, you know, about, you know, evolution or, you know, the authority of scripture or the church, you know, and all of the problems they've, what if, what if they don't need that conversation? There's a place for all of that and, and apologetics and things like that, very important things. And yet maybe that person in your life needs to feel the tangibility of the kingdom of God, of the gospel itself. Uh, you, you will see this in your life. I mean, nothing simplifies conflict like service. Just want to tell you, like, nothing, nothing just kind of gets rid of all the confusion and all the conflict like simply serving somebody. You want to simplify things in your marriage? Serve him. You want to simplify things in a broken relationship? Serve them. You want to simplify things with your boss? Serve him or her. Like, figure out a way to serve them, and you will find that it will simplify the relationship, and you will actually have cast a, a vision for something so much greater than, than, than even getting something for yourself. Let's keep going. Verse 6 says, he came to Simon Peter. He's washing feet, right? He comes to Simon Peter. He says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I love, this is, this is a crazy response. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head, right? Jesus said to him, the, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean. But not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So interesting interaction in this whole foot washing ceremony. He comes to Peter, he's washing the feet, and Peter's like, no, no, it's not going to happen. You've been there before? Someone wants to serve you, you're like, uh, nope, let's close the door, right? Not, not going to receive that. And then Jesus makes the statement, if I don't serve you, you have, you have no, uh, no share with me. You're not going to be part of me, part of my family, part of my, I got to serve you. And, and it's almost like this clicks in, in Peter's head and he's like, then just wash all of me. I'm, I'm jumping into that basin of water. I mean, I just take care of everything. So I want to explain some of what's going on here because there's a little confusion, I think, in this passage. Jesus uses two terms in this passage. He uses the term washed and bathed, Right? So you got Jesus wanting to wash Peter's feet, and Peter going, now just bathe me in it, you know, cover me in this. You see, to bathe in this passage is this verb, it's a, it's a perfect tense, it's like a final thing, to be bathed. And what Jesus is referring to is what's called salvation. See, there's this moment that when you come to Jesus, and you just say, hey, I'm ready to receive from you, it's like he cleanses you and makes you a new person. And once you are cleaned by Jesus, you are clean forever. Amen to that, right? You are once and for all clean. You don't need to go do it again. 
Uh, there's a lot of confusion about this in the church, you know, because there's people who are like, oh man, but I blew it this week. <laughs> Better go to church this weekend. Gotta get cleaned up again by Jesus, you know. Remember, you've been bathed in Christ. And this is really, really good news. If you're here today and you're like, yeah, I've, I've, I've screwed up this week pretty big time. Or, man, I don't feel like I've been living this stuff like I should. If you have been bathed, if you've, been, if you've received from Jesus and, and truly put your faith in him, you're good. Just relax and, and come back to him. But what's going on here is this washing. You see, Peter already is a believer in Jesus. And so what doesn't need to happen is Peter doesn't need to get saved here, right? He's already, a, he's already chosen to follow Jesus. He needs to be washed by Jesus. And so if bathed refers to like salvation, then to be washed, I would say, is sort of like confession and repentance. And that's something we all need, isn't it? I mean, we need this consistently in our lives. And I would say uh, we evangelicals have maybe lost some of this in, in our tradition, uh, some of the value in consistently going to God and going, man, I... Here's, here's where I'm at in life. Here are the ways that uh, I, I do not live a life that looks like your kingdom. And so I want to confess that, and I, I want to I think differently about that. God, empower me to do that. Uh, help me to make better decisions. Help me to believe more that you have changed me and, and trust in this new life that you've given me. And so that is something we all need to do. And so once again, Jesus is like, you know, you don't need to get bathed again, but, but I'm going to wash your feet. And when he says, you will have no part in me here, I really think Jesus is speaking to Peter and he's saying, you know what? Our relationship can be kind of broken. If, I'm, if, if you don't receive from me, our relationship's gonna be broken here. Uh, and so I really think Peter in this moment is like, okay, I, I get it. I just need to be, receive from Jesus to restore relationship. And it's funny, here very soon, their relationship's gonna be broken again as he rejects Jesus, denies Jesus. Do you guys get that? So th- there's this bathing that will happen if you receive Jesus. And once you receive him, you're good. You are clean. You are right before God. And yet all of us need to consistently come before God and receive from Jesus. Just let him wash your feet. It's confession. It's repentance. Such an interesting thing that Jesus washes Judas's feet. You ever thought about that? As he's making his way around the circle. Was that an awkward moment? As he's washing, Judas had already made his deal with the Pharisees. He knew he was going to betray Jesus. And he says, he says this, he says, for he knew that he was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. He's like, Peter, you're clean. I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to make sure this is a symbol of restoring our relationship, but not all of you are clean. There, there, there's one of you who is not. There's one of you who does not believe, who has not given their life to me. This man is, is Judas. But it's interesting, Judas still gets his feet washed. And I think the, the little bit of truth here is that you can be served by Jesus and not saved by Jesus. Like you can actually be served by Jesus and not saved by him. You can receive from Jesus. You can receive from his church. You can come here every week and, you know, enjoy music and enjoy family and be part of our groups and, and do all kinds of things and just receive from the church, receive from Jesus and not truly be saved by Jesus. I mean, that's a different step, isn't it? Judas had not taken the steps to surrender his life to Christ. He chose money over Jesus, right? He said, I have a different passion, Jesus. I have a passion for money. And ultimately, between you and, and my money, I will give something authority over all things. I will have my one thing have authority over everything, and that one thing is my money. So Judas sells out for Jesus. 
and yet he was still served by Jesus. I don't know if you sense how much Jesus really wants these guys to understand what's going on here. He wants them to understand, I am here to serve you. And so he gets down on his feet, and he gets dirty, and he does this dirty job of washing their feet. And you might think, well, maybe Jesus just kind of liked feet, you know? Maybe just kind of this thing for washing feet. I want you to write this down. Jesus was passionate about life transformation, not foot washing. Uh, and maybe this is taking a little bit of liberty on my, on my own. Uh, maybe Jesus liked washing feet. But I'm just going to, I'm going to assume that he had a bigger plan here. I'm going to assume that he wasn't super stoked on, you know, washing these guys dirty. He was, he was about life transformation. That's why he would serve them. And this is why we do the things we do. Sometimes you may not be the most passionate about the thing that you do for somebody. It may not be your favorite thing to do. But what you are passionate about is seeing their life be transformed by the gospel. And the best way for that to be tangible to your friends and your family and your neighbors is for you to serve them. It's for you to find a way to give yourself to them. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. End of sermon. End of resignation letter. Drops the mic. What am I going to leave you with? Wash each each other's feet. Serve one another. This is how you'll change the world. It's not what you thought it was, right? Like it's, uh, but Jesus, I thought you meant like we're going to be next to you in your kingdom, right? We're going to be in power in you. We're going to change the world, right? Because we're going to have authority over it and we will force the change that we want to see in the world. Jesus is like, no, you will serve your way to a changed world. That's what's going to happen. And that's the message for us in the church today. And Jesus says, if you know these things, if you get what I'm saying to you, and you don't think this is just some kind of you know, theology game or just something for church, this, if this is going to change your life, Blessed are you if you do them. The greatest blessing is found in serving. Now, I decided to look up hashtag blessed on Instagram. It's pretty interesting. Um, You know what I didn't see? Anybody serving anybody? I saw a lot of like Maui and uh, really nice cars, some some Ferraris, some pretty sweet cars. Um, I saw very beautiful people. Um, I saw beautiful kids. I saw beautiful homes. Uh, but not much about serving people. And it's so funny, like, this does not compute to us. And I told you at the very beginning of the series that this whole conversation, it flies in the face of everything we believe in this culture. And it flies in the face of every message that we are sent. You know? You are blessed if you really enjoy what you're doing. You're blessed if you are the professional scuba diver on Maui. You are blessed if you get to spend, you know, the next 10 years just traveling abroad and enjoying yourself. That's how, you know, you're blessed. And Jesus himself says, no, if you actually get what I'm saying to you, you will be blessed. It's like Jesus is saying blessing is found in serving people. It's all about the people. And, And that's what we're about as a community is people and serving and loving each other. And I know this is hard for some of you. 
It's hard to think about your life being about nothing but serving others. But I'm just telling you, that's where you're going to be blessed. I really believe this. If your life is about serving yourself, you're going to end up by yourself. If your life is about serving yourself, you're probably going to end up by yourself. And here's what I mean by that is, um, are you in a family where there's a lot of people living in a house, but they're all sort of taking care of their own thing? And although you live in the same place, you feel very lonely? Are you in a job or a workplace where everybody's got their own silos and they're doing their own thing and they're taking care of themselves? And although you are around lots and lots of people, you feel extremely lonely? Maybe, you're, maybe you've, you've been to church, and I hope it's not our church. Better not be our church. That'll be my last sermon, right? That better not be our church, but maybe you've been in a church where you're like, I am around people every single week, and yet I am very, very lonely because everybody is about taking care of themselves. So I don't feel blessed. I don't feel like I'm in community. Jesus makes it so clear. If you want to be blessed, you will be a servant to people. Maybe you're thinking, how far do I have to go with this, Brian? Like how much, of, like how much do you really want me to give up? When it comes to this, maybe you're thinking, well, Brian, that sounds like a, like you've talked about dirty jobs. The job that, that God's putting on my heart right now is the dirtiest of jobs. The forgiveness that you're calling me to give to somebody who does not deserve it. I mean, that's, that's dirtier than anything I've ever seen on TV. Like that, that just feels wrong to me. Uh, maybe you're here today and you're like, man, if you knew uh, what position I was in, you'd get me a free pass, right? Because my boss just drives me crazy. My job is terrible. Like, Brian, you don't understand. Like this, this does not apply for me. I get a pass. Jesus took this whole thing right to the end, didn't he? I mean, this whole washing the feet was just a foreshadowing of him going to the cross and saying, I will serve you to the point of death. So what do we do with our passions? What do we do with the things we want to do? Because let's be honest, we don't often wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to go and serve people today. I just can't wait to go help people. I think here's the deal. Write this down. This is the last thing. Don't let your passion drive your purpose. Let your purpose drive your passion. This is my encouragement to you. What too many people do is they're like, well, I'm passionate about this, so that's why I'm here. That's why I'm on the, war- on, on the earth, right? You know, I, 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 love, I love film, and so that must be why I'm on this earth, is to go film things, and then I'm going to find the most joy in filming things, right? Maybe, maybe you've loved the military, and so you're like, man, I just, I'm passionate about this, this role that I have. I'm passionate about leadership, and so that must be why I'm here. And when I pursue that passion, I will find the greatest joy. I will be hashtag blessed, right, as I pursue my passion. But I would encourage you to flip things around, and instead of letting your passion drive your purpose, you as, if you're, if you're a Christian here today, you let your purpose drive your passion. You were created, and you are here ultimately to worship God and to honor him and to love your neighbor. And that's the only thing. It all boils down so simply to that, to love people and to serve them. And at some point, here's what's going to happen. When you start doing that, even when you don't feel it, even when you don't really want to, your your passion's going to come along, right? I mean, talk to the people that you know that do jobs that you think are really kind of nasty jobs. Ask them, did you start off being very excited about going to work? And they're probably like, no way, right? I hated this. But then over the years, I just started finding joy in it. And I found, you know, purpose in what I do, you know? And I think this, this happens. The, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 26, 9, I, I love the way he describes his heart for God. It says this. It says, my soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, 
the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. What do you think about at night? What do you lay in bed dreaming about? What is it that consumes your thought? For Isaiah, it's God himself. He just like yearns for God. And I think what happens is we start stepping into things that we know are right. We start to love what God loves and we start to serve the way that God served us. Would you just close your eyes for a second as we close out? I just want to ask you a couple questions. He says, my soul yearns for you in the night and my spirit earnestly seeks you. I want to ask you, what do you earnestly seek today? Many times if you find what gives you the most fear, you will find what you're most passionate about. Just as much as when you find what you think about all the time that gives you joy, you'll find what you're passionate about. What do you earnestly seek? If you're here today and maybe you haven't received Jesus, uh, maybe you've never just been served by Jesus, maybe you've never had him wash your feet, I want to encourage you today to let him do that. Don't be like Peter, resisting it. But maybe today you could receive it, and when you receive it, you will understand truly what it means both to be served and to serve. It's so interesting that as Jesus goes to the cross, it's often called the passion the passion of the Christ. And this word passion comes from a Latin word that means to suffer. Jesus came and was passionate about us. He wasn't passionate about suffering, but he suffered as a result of his purpose, which he pursued with passion. You're created for more than the house and the job and the two kids and the American dream. You were actually created as a being to bring honor and glory to your creator and to show that to the world by the way that you serve them. And that's where you will find blessing. So Jesus, we humble ourselves before you and God, we admit that uh, we're passionate about a lot of things and uh, we think that we can be passionate about our things uh, and you at the same time. God, we like to, uh, to have you share your position in our lives with, with other stuff. And yet, God, we recognize that there's like a war within us and a battle that's raging for our attention. God, could today be the day that one or many of us here make the decision to give you our one thing, authority over everything, that you might be our passion. And as we're passionate about you, God, we go and we do the dirty work of loving difficult people. God, we do the, the dirty jobs that maybe no one wants to do so that others might see just how far you went to serve us. We just worship you in the next few moments, God. You are so good to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.